0: Matt Guyler. and you're listening to the CF3 cult fans films and finds the CF3 podcast baby welcome to this evening's nerd alert on the CF3 podcast CF3 on the reflexes
1: at least that was matt Guiler's philosophy the day he conceived the dancing pumpkin man for the now defunct kxvo news the dancing pumpkin man went viral and has been seen by millions across the world via youtube and appearances on america's got talent but who is matt guyler well we've got the answer on cf3 that's cult fans films and finds the podcast that spotlights a new cult b or horror movie film fan like us or an industry professional, and ask them to help us review our movie of the week. These are cult fans discussing cult films. And finally, in our weekly cult find segment, we'll deliver newsworthy items that we dug up from around the web. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to another episode of the CF3 podcast. I'm Dane Michael. And I am Jeff Johnson. And uh, with us, we have a man who would create big trouble in a little china shop dames the bowl marvs where are you podcasting (laughs) from today sir madrid spain oh there's bowl in that uh, anyway that's right did you know that's not where they do the
2: running
3: of the bowls though no they have rodeos (laughs) Rodeos.
2: (laughs) (laughs) and that is our third co-host everybody (laughs) (laughs) believe it or not yes And when it comes to cult films, fans, and finds, we are your one-stop shop without costing you a nickel. Find us at our new home at cf3pod.com or listen and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and many other platforms. Rate us the full five stars and keep dames from going Hulk smash on your ass.
1: Our guest today is an improv comedian from the Second City Conservatory whose weekly musical improv show Make Matt Sing earned him the nickname White Wayne Brady. He is a children's book author, artist, and the mastermind behind the music of Frederick Julius. He's been an anchorman, an actor, blogger, consultant, and voiced a Haynes undergarment tag that was discarded by Michael Jordan on three separate occasions. But what you really know him from is the viral video seen by millions and his memorable 2017 stint on America's Got Talent in which he appeared as the dancing pumpkin man.
3: Wow, <laughs> I don't even
1: know. What is on his face?
0: Hello, how are you? Fantastic, thank you. And what's your name, please? I'm the Dancing Pumpkin Man. What's
1: your real name?
0: My name's Jack.
1: (laughs) Okay. Are you single,
0: married? I am married. 16 years, two children, and I have a dog named Calvin. (laughs) Okay, and Jack, what's the the dream? Can I be vulnerable with you for one second? (laughs) Yes, I'd like vulnerable. At one point, I thought, you know, it's about the hot dollar. Yeah. Here's what's changed over the last few years. Tell me. The goal is to spread the joy through the dance and to ascend to a position at the front of the modern avant garde. <laughs> That's the goal, Simes. got a new name. Mr. For Mr. Matt Guyler.
1: Thank you for RSVPing to this <laughs> evening's soiree.
0: Of course, of course. Thank you guys for having me.
1: How do you feel today, and what are you drinking?
0: San Pellegrino, the tiny bottles that they sell in those little six packs. And uh, I'm feeling euphoric, effervescent. You know, I'm just I'm thrilled to be alive. I'm thrilled to be anywhere, actually.
1: And most of all, you're thrilled to be on CF3. I can I can imagine.
0: Oh God, I'm going out of my mind over here. Uh, <laughs> the um, the excitement is palpable. I mean, I do some podcasts, but this. This one, I have a feeling, is going to be super special. It will be. And um, we'll
1: find out exactly why in just a bit here. I just wanted to let you know that I see your tiny San Pellegrino and raise you <laughs> a 5.1 fluid ounce
0: bow.
1: Legitimately, <laughs> yes. 5.1 fluid ounces hard apple cider. Yeah.
2: I see both your San Pellegrino and your weak ass beer with a 6.8. <laughs> Lakefront Brewery, fixed gear, (laughs) behold the power of a red IPA.
1: Not all of us can live in Wisconsin. True that. Matt, we really wanted to start out by asking you, what came over you the day that you conceived of the Dancing Pumpkin Man?
0: Uh, What came over me was uh, simultaneous feelings of panic and uh, dread, because, I mean, you guys might have had a taste of this, because I know um, you guys in on the band. We used to do a Band of the Week segment on that, um, on the KXVO news show. And you might've been able to guess by the flow of things that it was kind of a slip shot. Indeed. Slip shot operation. (laughs)
1: Like, oh, I was gonna say, I was just watching a video on YouTube from 2006 today of when you introduced our band on the show. And that was, um, (laughs) that was something, it was something. And it wasn't necessarily your fault. (laughs) That was all us. (laughs) But you guys had some holes in the programming?
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing about that show was I think our operating budget was like $96 a month. We had no, so there were no resources for that show other than what was just lying around in the in-studio equipment. I was there six months before they actually assigned a a full-time camera guy to our show. We we used to have to borrow from KPTM, the sister station. So, I mean, half the time, we didn't know who was going to be shooting anything. And also, I was the only person on salary. So like every, everybody else on the show <laughs> didn't have to show up until like two o'clock in the afternoon. So we would routinely get to, you know, 930 and have like these gaping holes in the show. And then we would have to scramble to fill them. And so I think that night, it was the week of Halloween and we were doing Halloween stuff. And I was just like, I literally was like, I, I remember seeing a black unitard <laughs> In that hallway where they where the, that was just filled with like junk and discarded lumber, and um, I ran upstairs and and I was like, "Let's! I'll do a Halloween dance if you guys throw on Ghostbusters, and we'll chew up some. This will literally take like." <laughs> 4 minutes to film and we'll get maybe two like two usable minutes out of it. We can throw it on like during weather or something. Where did you get the pumpkin mask? The pumpkin mask, I don't know if you guys have heard the legend, but I ran upstairs to the lobby and there was a festive display of foam pumpkin jack-o-lanterns and like autumnal leaves. And I grabbed <laughs> one of those out of the lobby and then on my way back down I stopped in I stopped in the break room and I grabbed a knife and I sliced it in half. And then when I got back down to the studio, I took a hanger and like jammed it in there for like a, to like a headband type of a arrangement and plopped that on my head. <laughs> <laughs> and the end result. <laughs> <laughs> and the end And the end result was, you know, a shrug from everybody who was just used to that kind of behavior until, and then it, like, we threw it up on the YouTube channel. I think it sat there for maybe like three years. And then some guy over at Buzzfeed discovered it, like out of of nowhere, he like put up this post. He's like, this is the greatest and spookiest Halloween video of all time. And so that's how it got its initial attraction. But by the time that whole thing started, like that show had been canceled. My next show there had been canceled. The station went bankrupt and had been sold off to another media company. So that video is like a remnant of a, <laughs> of a, a long era. lost time. A
1: bygone yeah. era. Yeah. But how yeah. many people have seen that video?
0: I think the actual YouTube video has, like in the neighborhood of like seven and a half million views. But But then if you go through like, Then it took on this thing where like people mash it up and they put different songs with it. Mm -hmm. And if you if you count all those, I think it goes into like the fifteen million range. Yeah, because it's I mean, if you add like I don't know where it is if you add in like all the gifts people have made of it that they shoot around when Halloween comes, it's crazy.
1: That is insane. And actually, I was just looking at the original KXVO one. The other day, yeah. and it's at eight point seven million.
0: Oh, <laughs> dang, man! the le- the le- The legend continues to grow. Right. That's
1: right. You were pre David S. Pumpkins.
0: Yeah, somebody somebody even uh, said I did an interview with. Um, if you can believe this, the Columbia Journalism Review and the interview asked, "With well, like, do you have any hostility towards David S. Pumpkins since you were kind of the first Halloween dancing meme?" And there's this whole thing where I'm like, you know, I, I don't wish him any ill will, but, you know, I don't, I don't have much to say about the guy's moves, you know. If <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey um, you want
0: to tell everybody who you are, please. I am Dancing Pumpkin Man. Right. Uh, and you are from? I know who this guy is. Oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm originally from the rural stretches of Nebraska. From Nebraska. This guy is an internet meme legend. Thank you. You didn't tell that the first time you met us, did you?
1: Well, I didn't know what the boundaries were. But there are no boundaries, <laughs> sorry. Okay, what are we What are we gonna do different to the first time?
0: Well, as you can see, I've, uh, I've added this
1: cape.
3: <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I've added a cape on. Okay. All right. Well, look, best of luck. I'm going to take a guess here, but I would like for you to tell me who's the biggest fan of that character. I'm going to go with Chris Hardwick. Oh, man. <laughs> that dude loves you, man. That
0: dude loves you. That was, uh, that dude d- does love it. But, you know, it's that was kind of an interesting part of that, that particular uh, segment on AGT because when we taped that, still, none of the regular judges really had any idea what that thing was. They they were literally treating it as, and they had not been briefed on what it was. They were simply evaluating <laughs> it on like, oh, this guy wants to become a famous person, and this is his act he came up with. And Hardwick, some of it made it into the segment, but he, like, in the taping, he went into this whole diatribe. He's like, you guys don't even know who this is. This guy, he went on and on, and so we had like a... I don't know that it was enlightening for them. I don't think they cared, but, but <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was like, he, he was way
3: into it. Yeah. You could tell. Cause right away he's like, I know this guy. I know this guy.
1: Right. Well, he's the one guy in that judging panel that would actually like follow Buzzfeed, you know, for so, sure. He's, for sure, he's yeah. tuned in Simon probably just gets everything fed to him. I don't know, but, uh, or I mean, Simes as you,
3: how'd that go (laughs) over how'd that end up going over
0: i don't know how it went over with simes because (laughs) the closest i ever got to simes was i like he walked past me in the hall he still had his sunglasses on and we were indoors so i don't know what that (laughs) i mean sorry i could imagine him being like listen here you little prick You're on my show, you will call
3: me silent.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you how that did work out, though. the gr- The great part about that was, after that occurred, I had so many new friends in, like, you know, key grips and camera people and people on the crew. <laughs> like gaffers coming up to me and just they're like, dude, Symes, we all we all love it, you know, keep it up. They're like, we just get to spit in his tea. You actually got <laughs> to right. you. you actually got it right. <laughs> yeah, that it was it was definitely a, a cool moment.
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: It is the thing that I'm most known for. And ironically, it is, the th- <laughs> it is the thing that I like, I have the least personal uh, attachment to it. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that it I'm glad that it exists. But I'm just like, I wasn't bent over crying in an alley behind the studio when I got eliminated.
1: Yeah, you were probably just in amazement that you got asked back for another week, I would imagine. So,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, th- that was like icing on the cake. Best part of the whole thing for me was the
3: humility in the criticism that you took. You're like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> like I, 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 I laughed my ass off what? that. I was like, this guy. Well,
0: that, awesome. I mean, yeah. I I don't understand. I mean, I don't really know. Like, like there, you know, your dancing was a little off point tonight, and I'm like, yeah, um, it's never on point. So that's a, <laughs> that's astute. A that is a germane. <laughs>
2: You got to give yourself credit. Not many people will put themselves out there and do that sort of thing. So not only does that show confidence, that shows you're willing to go crazy and all out for what you thought was a great experience and an opportunity. So kudos on that, sir.
0: Listen, man, I, I I just, you know, if there's a, if there's an inspirational feather in the cap of this whole experience, guys, uh, I want to, I want to let the young people out there know, that you can't just do anything halfway. Like you know, do it a hundred percent, even if it results in your uh, in your destruction in a ball of green flame. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that soon. Poor <laughs> <enough>. shadowing,
3: <laughs> son of a bitch. I was saving that.
1: What the shit? <laughs> That's right. Uh, transitioning, Matt. The tagline, pun intended, of the Haynes okay. commercials with Michael Jordan was. Tags are annoying, so we got rid of them. So yes. that said, were you insulted that they deemed your voice as annoying enough to pull this off, or did you feel hashtag blessed?
0: Uh, definitely hashtag blessed, <laughs> because yes, the the voice is annoying, and yet at the same time, it ha- it can't be grating. You know what I'm saying? Like it ha- it it's yes. all it's like mild. Like what's the most pleasant version of annoying? that we can create. So that's a silver lining. I didn't take it personally. Let me ask you something, chief. Have you ever grilled before anything at all? Ever? You look befuddled. You want to flip that one. I'm telling you, you're going to burn it. You're going to be like hockey pucks. I'm just saying, I used to be a grill master at a summer camp and I would consider some sauces. Just saying. Ow! Hey MJ, we should hang out. But, uh, That was a great experience too, because they, in a very unusual, usually when I do voiceover stuff, I'm completely removed from the shooting of the commercial. I just, I go into a studio, lay it down. I don't have anything to do with it until it comes out. But for some reason, for these commercials, they wanted me on set to do the voice in real time so everybody could hear it and interact with it. And part of that was because I improvised a lot of what ended up in the commercial. I was improvising so much that they were like, okay, well, maybe he's going to come up with something on set. So let's have him there. So I got to spend uh, three days shooting with Michael Jordan, which was A preposterous experience because that guy travels with uh foreign dignitary level security through Uh like just your average neighborhood it was it was insane to to do
1: and i had no idea that you would have actually been on set for those so that is that's doubly incredible
0: oh yeah and and normally i wouldn't have been so it was just kind of the, the luck of the draw but a cool story that came out of that if you guys um don't mind the original concept for one of the commercials was for me to sing different eighties pop hits in the voice of the tag. Um, (laughs) I think one of the commercials was in an office where I was bugging some guy in a cubicle. And the original concept was for me to sing all these, you know, hits and be very annoying so one of them was um men at work down under and so i was on set singing this like just off the camera as jordan is walking and the way they had everything configured for i don't know a couple hours every take i'm singing that like right in his ear and so the next day when we showed up he comes walking over to me and he says hey man are uh, are you going to be singing again today. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing that. And he was like, good, because I can't get that. I couldn't get that damn song out of my head last night when I was trying to get to uh, That's awesome. And I, I, I held up my hands. I was like, I, I apologize, Michael Jordan. Uh, I, that, that was not my intention. I'm, it's just talking today. You should
3: have been like, so if I were your opponent, and say a game of basketball, I could get in your head. I know how to get in Michael Jordan's head. You could fucking say that now.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: You got in his head.
0: He also traveled, I guess, I don't know if this is a regular thing, but for that shoot, he showed up with a truck of Nikes <laughs> that was just parked out in the street and everybody who worked on that thing, <laughs> at the end of it, he's like, "Why don't you go get yourself a pair of shoes out of the truck?" <laughs> <And> the truck <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. In the truck is, was like a dude named Lance with really long hair. His whole purpose was to find your size and give you <laughs> give, give you a commemorative pair of Jordan. Oh, what
1: Lance's job! So you got some Air Jordans from Michael Jordan. Yeah, from Lance. Via Lance. From Lance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You didn't really get a say. I mean, I have pretty big feet. I have size 14 feet, so it was kind of a limited selection. I I mean, I just took what they gave me. They ended up being pretty cool, but um, uh, we had no say in what kind of shoes we got.
1: Give us the lowdown on Fixers and Elixirs, the new record from Frederick Julius.
0: Yeah, Fixers and Elixirs. Very, very excited about it because it's a new Frederick Julius album from my lo-fi, no-fi, vintage pop, retro pop, indie outfit, Frederick Julius. And Fixers and Elixirs is a 13-song record. It comes out May 31st. I would just say it's a collection of uh, happy-sounding Sad songs, you know, they're kind of bittersweet, kind of melancholy. Uh, but ha- but a lot of harmonies. I'm a huge Brian Wilson Beach Boys fan, so a lot of uh, a lot of that sound, a lot of falsetto singing. And it comes out May 31st. It's it's the sixth album that I've done under Frederick Julius, but it's the first one where I've really like rolled up my sleeves and been like, you know, let's get session musicians and like let's do this right. Most of them I just record in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the lo- lo-fi. Lo-fi. Yeah. Damon. I actually pre-ordered
3: this. We met and we had lunch last week. I got a copy of it, a physical copy of it, which I've, I'm have i sorry, Matt, I've passed on to several people, um, my brother included. That's great. Um, but I just want to say, it's anything but lo-fi. Hi-fi. Yeah, this music is straight up medicine. And if you mm. are familiar with Brian Wilson, he is a tormented soul as it is. So some of his lyrics and songs are of the sad nature, but you would never ever be able to extract that from the presentation. And I think that Mm. is, is true of this as well. And I guess we are both huge Brian Wilson's fans and that's why we remained in contact since 2006 really.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But yeah, I've done some listening to the album and I think it's great. Obviously the Brian Wilson stuff is in there it also reminded me of the wonders who were fountains of Wayne in that thing you do. Oh Um, yeah. I caught a lot of those same feelings, listening to your music as I would listening to the wonders, which I think is awesome because that's a great movie that had great music and it would have been a terrible movie if the music had sucked. So
3: it's funny that you said that because I had a listening party with, with my other friend. We listened to the whole thing from front to back on Saturday. And uh, that point came up. I was like, you know what? if they were making the movie, that thing you do right now and they needed music for it, you could, I mean, this is that kind of pop. That's, I mean, and that's a, that's one of my favorite soundtracks just to be
1: fair. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's great. a good movie too. I did like that one. And Fountains of Wayne is awesome. So love Fountains You're of Wayne. You're in good company if we are comparing you to Fountains of
0: Wayne. I'm just kind of thrilled to see it get into more people's hands and get some, get some ears on it. Cause I, we really made it with a lot of love, and uh, it was it was just a great. Pro- Everybody who played on it was amazing. The drums on it, I, I love the percussion on it. It was uh, Butch Norton who tours and records with Lucinda Williams. Did all the drums on it. He he started out in a band called the Eels, which uh, in '95 their their big hit was Novocaine for the Soul. Before I sputter out, yeah,
1: awesome. Well, Frederick Julius Fixers and Elixirs. Out in May, May
0: 31st, 31st, yeah, Yeah. May 33rd.
3: Dane, you you did that like robot running out of juice. (laughs) Coming out May 3rd. Yeah, man, another beer, staff.
1: Yeah, another five ounce beer. (laughs) Trying to match wits with Matt Geiler takes a lot out of you. Thanks for chatting with us about that stuff. And uh, when we come back with the cult film segment, we are going to rip into Big Trouble in Little China.
0: Oh my God, I can't (laughs) wait. I love it so much. Way to go, Jack. (laughs) Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's (laughs) Big Trouble in Little China. It's on the reflexes.
2: Welcome back to CF3Pod. Today's film, we are talking about Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. This, if you don't know, is the story of Jack Burton, trucker extraordinaire who rolls into San Francisco and through a strange course of occurrences, helps his friend Wang Chi Help his green-eyed fiance coming from China from being grabbed at an airport. They go into a mysterious underworld underneath Chinatown where there is much sorcery, magic, and mystery. And they beat, they fight the man named David <laughs> Lopez. <That it? laughs>
3: no, they do feed him.
2: <laughs> All, right. All right, want me to start over again?
1: Or no,
3: just Mark Barrett? double down on it. Say, hey, fuck you. I said feet. we're keeping all
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> so just go from where you were.
2: <laughs> all right. They enter into the mysterious underground to battle David Lopan underneath the actual Chinatown. Much mystery, much sorcery, much science fiction awaits for all of them as they fight a demon sorcerer with a centuries old curse. Starring Kurt Russell, directed by John Carpenter. This is this week's film. And let's go away with it, guys. What did you think?
1: Oh, my God. There's a lot to unpack on this one. <laughs> Matt, how many times have you seen Big Trouble in Little China? I told
0: uh, Damon that I it's easily over 200. I, what? I, I mean, it's a thing. I Good own man. that movie in multiple formats. If I notice that it's on... I I will stop anything, whatever it is that I'm doing, be that disciplining my kids or trying to save my marriage. And I will stop. I will, and I'm all in. I just, it's so good. It's so hundreds of times I've seen this film. Jeff,
1: what would you estimate for your viewing total on this? Uh, Probably about the same, Mark.
2: I I have a personal record for watching this movie five times in one sitting. So,
3: Dames, how many times have you seen it? The first time I saw it, and I hate to admit this on the podcast was when we had lunch last Thursday,
0: mm-hmm.
3: I mentioned this was going to be the movie that we were going to do. It was one movie we were considering. He's like, "What are you, are you doing that right now? I was like, yeah. He's like, can I invite myself? I'm like, hell yes, you can. So we came straight away and I watched it the first time and then I had 46 hours to watch it before my rental expired another two times. So I'm three times in. I got
1: the one viewing in in my l- entire life. You mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> do your research. Yeah. We broke your cherry, Dane. Hey, <laughs> someone's got to edit this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's funny to me to read the various genre descriptions of what this film is. So if you go to the various hmm. sources on the internet. So what I found from Wikipedia is it's an American fantasy martial arts comedy film. <laughs> Probably the only one of those on I am IMDB. They've got action adventure, comedy, and on Rotten Tomatoes they have action and adventure, science fiction, and fantasy. But they don't think it's comedic at all, apparently. So um, interesting bunch of pussies. Jeez. So basically, Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> doesn't know what laughter is or a good <laughs> movie is. <laughs> uh, What's the score on Rotten
3: Tomatoes? Just curious. Seventy-eight percent.
1: Kim Cattrall's in the opening credits. Um, when, when her name flashed, I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A lot of sex in her city. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is an awesome way to introduce Jack Burton. And it immediately got me into this character. The CB radio rants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an amazing
0: way. <laughs>
1: Does anybody know what he says in any of them? I can't remember anything that he says in any of them. I've I deferred to Guyler on this.
0: With the CB rants, I mean...
3: You got to put in a chop, a big chop. You have to be
0: taking a bite out of a gigantic sub to punctuate every, yeah, that's interesting. every, I mean, every one of them's great. You know, the, uh, yeah, I'm not saying I've been everywhere and I've done everything, but I do know this is a pretty big universe, with a pretty big place. A <laughs> uh, man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. Chomp. <laughs>
2: Have you paid your dues yet? <laughs> yes, sir. The check's in the mail.
0: <laughs> the eight foot tall monster taps your favorite head up against the back of a barroom wall and looks you right cricket in the eye and says, if you paid your dues, you tell him what old Jack Burton says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check is in the mail. <laughs> take, a, yeah. take another bite. Why does he? he I, it's, I mean, any that's the beginning of the movie, for crying out loud. Like
1: I said, this is the best way possible to introduce this character. So right away, mm-hmm. this this film had me hook, line, and sinker.
2: And that's not the original introduction, according to the script, either. That was done at the really? studio's request to do that opening like that.
1: So the studio, not not the editor's decision.
2: Correct. It's, wow. They wanted... Um, Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to be corrected. So I'm going to correct myself. Uh, That is the original opening. But what they started with was Egg Shen and his attorney. They recommended that so that you would have Jack Burton introduced as a hero before you actually got to meet him. Because throughout the movie, as we'll discuss, he slowly becomes a hero. And maybe at the end he is. Maybe he's not. But... The whole attorney egg shen thing was something that the studio requested. I do apologize for messing that up. But the Jack Burton intro is the original
1: introduction that should have been there first. Yes. So you're you're of the opinion that the egg shen scene is not necessary. Correct. Right. And that's another instance of studio meddling that didn't work. I was actually going to be gobsmacked a little bit by the fact that the studio gave good notes for once, but... uh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh I'm glad you corrected yourself and we don't look like idiots.
3: If you start out with
1: him talking all that shit in the
3: CB, I'm like, let's do this.
2: Well you end up wondering what the hell's really going on in this movie.
0: You guys don't appreciate the uh the laggy hand lightning when egg Chen yeah, I mean I mean that what, was you a... mean Chinese black magic?
1: It's the kind of foreshadowing that we don't need in a movie like this, I think. But yeah. Kurt Russell's awesome. Jack Burton's awesome. And this film has one of the greatest directors of photography of all time, Dean Cundy. I don't have a full list of his credits at my disposal, but this man has one Oscar nomination and no wins, but he's filmed things like Big Trouble in Little China, Jurassic Park, Back to the Future. Does anybody know any of the others off the top of their head?
2: Escape from New York, Halloween 2, The Thing, Halloween
1: Season 3, Psycho 2. So basically everything that... uh, Wow carpenter did in addition wow. to some no wins huh? no wins only one
0: nomination so what was what was he nominated for
1: um i can look that up if jeff has a point that he wants to talk about and then we can uh, come back oh, to i it. want to say that was probably for apollo 13 that sounds very legitimate
2: uh no actually it was for who framed roger rabbit
1: oh yes so he was a, Zemeckis. he's a Zemeckis guy a spielberg guy a carpenter guy Wow. This guy knew how to do his shit. I mean... No, he didn't. He never
2: won an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. But they, they go to him at Scream Factory to do a lot of their Blu-ray releases, and he helps color correct these days. And while that's subject to much discussion about whether that there's teal or it's supposed to be green or whatever, he is being hit up to re-review some of these movies for their release
1: on home video. You guys, Cundy also shot Hook, Roadhouse, and The Flintstones. <laughs> The Flintstones, nineteen ninety-four. Mm.
2: Is this our new secret goal to do all of his movies on this podcast? Because we have a lot of goals already.
1: Let's just call it like Kundi Cast. Let's just change the name to Kundi Cast. I doubt that's taken. Kundi. Yeah. <laughs> Francisco uh, Dean Kundi. Kundi. Jeff, what kind of car is it that the Chinese gang members kidnap Miao Yin in? That's a Camaro, sir. I knew you would know that. See, I just looked at it and I'm like, this is a sports car. It's red. It's a fast red car. But I'm like, I'm going to ask. Well, it's either a Camaro or a Pontiac
2: Firebird, but the Firebird had a lot more of a sharp nose on the front of it. This is a Camaro because they actually removed the emblem. Not exactly sure why, but that's always been an interest of car people to remove emblems so their car looks a whole lot sleeker. That was a Camaro, and I think they actually had a second one in the alley fight, the gold one parked next to it. So they had two Camaros, I want to say.
1: Matt, just to let you know, Jeff is our car geek, and we always ask him about the cars that are in movies. So um, that's why that just happened. (laughs) Just don't ask me about the
2: semi, because I have no freaking clue.
0: (laughs) Jeff, you may have then noticed that uh, in the background of that shot with the second Camaro, there is also, it's hard to see, but there is a Turismo in back of the Camaro. And in back of the Turismo is a probe with the T-tops removed. I know probes didn't have T-tops, but this one had the top cut out of it. And it's completely filled with ferns if you look really close. It's hard. I mean, you have to really like, You have to really like get in there and like pause it and then widen it. But those are the genus of those ferns. Yeah. Those ferns are um from Jurassic Park Lost (laughs) World. Which is crazy because that movie came out thirteen years later. So (laughs) well
2: Courtney was on Back to the Future. He clearly had access to the DeLorean.
1: Son of a bitch. Dude, Cundy is the genius behind this film. Yes. I think we we figured it out.
0: Yep. That the movie looks good. And so I wondered if anybody feels as I I do sometimes like some of the, (laughs) some of the jarringness, there's some things that are more jarring because it's like, Oh, that's a great shot. That's a ridiculous thing to say. And it's a preposterous thing that's going on in this cool looking frame. I I just appreciate, like, I don't know, like, it's a cool shot that those Buddhas topple all the way around after Lopan is knifed in the head. But it's also more preposterous that it's shot that well, those Buddhas toppling, and then Lopan's just down. I mean, it's not like UHF or something where it's like, let's make this whole thing preposterous. It's, you know. Certain, yeah, certain
1: aspects of it. Yeah, let's make certain things, like. Wow, we're building up to this like huge climax or whatever. Let's have Jack shoot the ceiling and, and fucking have some concrete <laughs> pound him in the head. That was written on purpose in the
2: script so they could focus on Wang Chi. <laughs> oh, but in a moment of improv, one of my favorite parts is where the lipstick on the lips mm. after kissing uh, Kim Cattrall they leave that on there. They're like, hey, let's see if he can actually keep doing that because their whole theme through the movie was breaking all the conventions of a normal hero and a normal movie. So whether it was a hit or a miss, they kept swinging for the fences and
1: some things hit, some things didn't. But I'm glad you said breaking the conventions of a normal movie as well and not just a hero because when I was reading the genre descriptions, I was like, none of this is actually fitting because they should just create a genre called kitchen sink because this had everything, (laughs) including the kitchen sink. Um, It didn't literally have one, but it was like no rules filmmaking. They were like, if we want to do this, we can, there's no reason we can't do this. There's no reason we can't just like uh, make a giant, a dude like one of the main villains turn into like a giant garbage pail kid and (laughs) (laughs) garbage pail kid and then explode. We can do that. (laughs) You know, we have the technology now. David Lopan, Mm. great actor, Mm. (laughs) great actor.
2: Yeah, he's been in (laughs) so many things. I mean. If you haven't seen a lot of what he's been in, it's you You can go to Kung Fu, The Legend Continues as a TV show. He's been in a lot of other stereotypical roles, but this is the one where he like literally jumped the hell right into this movie and just went completely crazy. James Hong.
1: Yep. I always think of, Wayne, you are worthy of my
3: daughter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go. I do love, this makes me love Burton even more, is how he is genu- genuinely like shocked and in awe about the things he's seeing. Mm. Unlike a lot of the characters in movies like this, they seem completely all too unaffected by incredible phenomena. Um, We were just talking in our last week's episode about the last starfighter. Mm. When the ship comes down and all of the trailer park people see this, you know, ship from another world, they're just like, Oh, this is normal. But finally we have a character who's like genuinely tripped out by the shit that's going on it's actively expressing that in words you know not just yeah
3: green explosions people flying in and out that was not real i want to talk to the cops
2: (laughs) and then later he's like no we don't want to talk to the cops they don't want none
0: of this hold on hold on i'm a pretty reasonable person i've just seen some pretty unreasonable (laughs)
3: things
2: (laughs) This movie has so many one liners. It is absolutely ridiculous. It's very quotable. And so, if you are into drinking, this is a great movie. If you're not into drinking, this is a great movie. If you're into smoking and we know what smoking means, quote unquote, that's becoming more legal, this is a fun movie, too. This is a fun movie for all.
3: I was born ready.
2: (laughs) What'd you guys think of the gang warfare scene? In the beginning where all the gangs came out while Jack and Wang Chi are just sitting in the truck going, uh, what did we just drive into?
1: I liked how it was in like clearly defined stages of warfare.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So they did like the martial arts stuff or the gunplay I think was first. Yes. And then they're like, after the guns are gone, let's get into some martial arts shit. And then after that, they're like, let's do lightning and um, run over you with the truck, but you're you're fine. You don't really see this too much in movies where yeah, you know, there's there's equal amounts of like gunplay as there are martial arts, you know, on display. So I thought that it was cool, the constant interplay between those. It's like, is he gonna use a gun in the scene to just blow the people away or is he gonna do like some badass like fighting move?
0: It went from gunplay to meat cleavers to (laughs) lightning out of the mouth. But then, but, but also those storms, what, I mean, the first few times I saw that movie and the storms come down, each one of them pulls out some preposterous shape of blade. One guy has claws, uh, (laughs) spinning blades coming out of his palms, uh, there's no explanation for those things, but they're fantastic.
2: I call that the inspiration to Mortal Kombat.
0: you got mm. Raiden and Shang Tsung.
1: Yeah, Raiden. Right, yeah, for sure. So, and this whole thing actually reminded me of, I wondered if video games inspired Big Trouble in Little China or if Big Trouble in Little China inspired some video games because those three storms were like bosses in video Yeah, game, Really? Yeah.
2: Ed Boon and uh, Tobias from Mortal Kombat fame, they are... Known fans of Big Trouble in Little China. They have said Raiden is somewhat based, but they had to create their own mythology and, and tweak it, of course, for copywriting stuff. But they are known fans of Big Trouble in Little China.
0: Also, did you guys notice as the battle starts to unfold, the hilarious point where Jack Burton pulls out a knife in the cab of the truck?
2: <laughs> yep,
0: <laughs> Like what? I mean, he's already rolled up the windows and locked the doors. And then he pulls this knife up. I I mean, like, I get it. He's ready for action. But it's also hilarious because it's completely... Ineffectual. The gun swapping scene. Yes, made me (laughs) laugh
1: out loud. So I watched this by Mm -hmm. myself, and this is my first time ever seeing it. I probably laughed out loud, I think four or five times, and the gun swapping scene was one of the things that made me laugh. And I wondered if that was like improvised or was that written into the script? Improvised. It was.
2: Yep. Yeah, Jeff. That was Kurt Russell. He (laughs) was like we should be doing something a little more in this scene. And so they, the actors just kind of were screwing around and John's like, good to go.
0: It's <laughs> a hilarious exchange. They,
2: he allowed a lot of improv improvisation for the, for the actors who were able to actually pull that off and knew what he was aiming for.
1: Mm-hmm. Did Kurt have creative license then to do whatever he wanted or.
2: Well, based off of the the commentary track recorded, and I want to say 2000, 2001, I was trying to, Peg exactly on that because they were referencing Gladiator that had just come out that year so I'm thinking 2000, they were talking about how the reason why John Carpenter went to him was was because he was aware of his acting skills and they had worked before on Escape from New York and the thing. And so they had this rapport and he thought the best choice for this role would probably be Kurt Russell. We can maybe bust him out of his, whatever he might be being typecast as. Let's see if we can get him another uh, big budget and a score a win him and get his career going and they had a good rapport so they went with it and there was a lot of i've worked with this guy before let's let him do his thing i don't have to direct him at all he knows Mm -hmm. what he's doing he reads the scripts he doesn't research too much and he understands the role he understands the character even at one point during the commentary Uh, Kurt Russell mentions, you know, this is a little bit of like when I did Snake Plissken in Escape from New York, but I get to play it up a whole lot differently. So he just owned this role and he didn't really have to do too much of anything except just do his job and he understood it was a comedy
1: and he like it like i said it was kind of yes the snake puskin thing but he got to deliver his lines with so much more gusto exactly so i wondered matt if the reason you love this film is because he's such a personal influence to you and that delivery of those lines with such gusto oh i think back to your days anchoring kxvo show i was like man this is like jack burton this is like watching jack burton on a News slash entertainment program.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what they used to call me. John Nicely referred to me repeatedly as the Jack Burton of the Omaha newscasting set. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, I used to show up at the uh, Anchors charity poker game over at Harrah's. I was from the streets and uh, people didn't want to mess with me or sit next to me. So (laughs) I get it. I mean, my, my own personal delivery is kind of over the top and, I uh, definitely appreciate a good, I mean, even when he's not yelling stuff, even his soft moments are, are that way. You know, right. there's a line that he says when, um, the low pan first comes out they're they've been captured and he comes out as the old man in the wheelchair mm-hmm. and, uh, he's going on and on. And there's a line where Burton kind of leans in and he's like, are you crazy? Is that your problem? And it's not a, you know, he's not doing it at a high volume or anything, but, but the level of kind of over the top, top intensity is still that comedic thing is still there. That exaggeration, you know, the, the John, the exaggeration of the John Wayne. Yeah. That
1: comes back at the end um, when he surprisingly doesn't wind up with Gracie when he says, you know, and it's a perfect delivery. Never can tell you know, I'm not going to deliver it as perfectly as Russell. I'm not going to try, but never can tell when he just says it. It's kind of, it's definitely not animated or anything, but it's like, wow, that's so Han Solo, but Kurt Russell's stamp on it.
0: Yeah. I'm so influenced by Jack Burton that I somehow persuaded. I don't know if you, I think it's still online. I persuaded most of the people who were in the newsroom on a certain day, again, to fill time to reenact like a blow by blow kind of big trouble in little China street battle.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
0: (laughs) I went so far as to go to a costume shop in Omaha, get a mullet wig. And then I literally roped every employee that I, that I could find, which ended up being like 12 or 13. I'm like, we're going to do this Jack Burton tribute. And the first question from everybody was like, Oh, why, why are, why are we doing that? But I like I said, I don't need any provocation to to make anything about Big Trouble with Little China. Yeah, $89 budget. Right, right.
1: I only noticed this during the final battle, but I wonder if you guys who have seen this hundreds of times, which just seems weird to me to say hundreds of times, about yeah. one movie. Oh, you have a movie. You just don't <laughs> want to tell us. There's no movie that I've seen a hundred times, I swear to God. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But well, you're not a real loser. Wow, you're I've so seen. fucking elite.
2: mister Horny Toiny over there. I am an elitist. <laughs> fucking you're David Pan
1: bitch. <laughs>
3: go ahead, Dane. From your ivory tower, go ahead and make your point.
1: I noticed a lot of lens flare in the final battle. Not like quite a J.J. Abrams amount of lens flare, but... <laughs> Maybe. Is this present throughout the whole movie for those who've seen it a lot, or no? It is not. It's in the climax, though. Okay, going back to that ending, you really do have to appreciate how they didn't write the storybook ending for Jack and Gracie. Would you have felt cheated in any way if that if that had worked out between them?
0: Yeah, I just don't think it's consistent with who he is you know i mean he's like a he's a open road trucker so he's never in one place for very long you know he plugs into these communities for certain amounts of time and then he's gone so i I don't even know that it would have i think doing that would have made no sense you know what i mean like i think it would have been i don't think it even would have been appropriate like you don't even assume he that's the type of guy he is anyway you know what i mean yeah yeah
3: like he talks about it but you can totally tell he's like not serious at all yeah Like, oh, I could give up my truck. Everyone's like, no, that's not going to happen. That's not real.
0: Uh, What's his line? He says, ah, sooner or later, I end up rubbing everybody the wrong way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's a man's man. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. um, they they did that exactly on purpose, listening to the commentary. So anybody who has a home video release of DVD or Blu-ray with a commentary on it, I encourage you to listen to it. It's not a whole lot of insight on it, though. Um, they drop hints here and there, but they like to talk about family and other projects. So you hear about Wyatt and you hear about all the other, all the other kids and, and whatnot and what they think about people in Hollywood. So it's, it's kind of one of those sort of commentaries, but they do drop things here and there. Um, they understood that there is a fair amount of criticism and they accepted for the lack of a love story between Gracie and Jack Burton. And they did that on purpose because if they were to go a full romance, it would change the whole dynamic of the movie. So they kept with it Mm -hmm. and they stuck with it through the end. So when he left without kissing her goodbye, and that was basically it, uh, that was it.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I appreciated the, the things that they did do in between like having them rub together in the, when they're crawling through the pipe or whatever.
0: That was, I love that. I love that rubbing together.
1: (laughs) That was enough for me. I don't think that every movie has to have a romance in it, you know? Yeah.
2: Or the perfect ending and they end up together and everybody's happy.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't have the perfect ending because it has a sequel hint that ultimately went nowhere. And that thing was ultimately, a little hollow and disappointing to me, having seen this for the first time. It seems like every movie that had genre implications tried to set up a sequel, whether or not it happened. Um,
2: Dr. Detroit, Buckaroo Banzai,
1: all of them. True. Yeah. Flash, Flash Gordon. Yeah. Oh,
3: (laughs) that, that creature, I particularly uh, was fond of its backstory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah
2: whatever it was and all the other creatures that magically appeared and never to be seen again except for the d eye goblin thing
0: what was that prehistoric fish with eight legs that came out of the out of the chasm
1: exactly
0: uh ate one of the um yellow turbans on their way through the underworld and yep we what? gotta keep moving
1: i'm telling you guys no rules filmmaking at its finest yep just another feather in John Carpenter's cap. The reason the, the sequel didn't get made, I have to assume, is because this film cost $11.25 million. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. It made $11.25 million. It, it I say cost it costs between... Like 19 and 25 million yeah so this was a box office failure and it left carpenter actually disillusioned and said i don't necessarily want to do this a filmmaking anymore i would rather be making you know stuff like they live where the expectations are a bit lower budget significantly lower Mm -hmm. and the rewards greater but um now it's a cult classic and Maybe if it had been a huge hit, spawned all these sequels, we wouldn't be talking about it as much because maybe it's not an occult classic. Maybe it's just part of the mainstream. Mm. So.
2: Well, he, he does go in. I hate to bring up the commentary again. They never intended for a sequel.
3: Wow. They smack, smack me right in the face of
2: It was never intended. They flat out said, oh, all the other movies in this era were doing these zany zingers at the end and never went anywhere. So we just thought we'd do one too. And I'm paraphrasing on that, but they said flat out, you can have an open ending like that and just have one movie and not worry about it. And so we did
3: that too. I actually like that. I prefer it because life does go beyond. I mean, unless unless it's the end all be all of everybody in the movie, life does go on beyond that movie. So to not have everything tied up in a bow, leaving you wanting more is actually
0: what I prefer. But unfortunately they did make a sequel and that movie is called adventures and babysitting. And it came out.
2: <laughs> I thought it was captain Ron. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: that was the, that was the prequel. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Captain Ron. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Dude, uh, Jeff, you're off your ass on this. Episode. The prequel
1: was <laughs>
0: overboard, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, you, Jeff, would you would you agree with this statement that among big time name actors who have kind of a litany of memorable roles, I, I think you would be hard pressed to find a triumvirate of character names that trumps Jack Burton, Snake Plissken, and Dean Prophet.
2: yes no i'd agree he all of his movies during the 80s they didn't make money until they hit home video but with any science fiction fan any cult film fan you know who kurt russell is because chances are you've seen at least one of kurt russell's movies and you loved it hit or miss He went from The Thing, Escape from New York. He did you know, Overboard. He did Captain Ron, which was actually his first major successful movie after several years of obscurity in the 80s with these movies. And he talks about that. He's like, until I did Captain Ron, I was poisoned to the studios, and they didn't want to put me in a lead. I do Captain Ron, and all of a sudden I got my career back.
0: <laughs> When I get off this podcast, I'm going to immediately watch Captain Ron.
3: Is that actually what you're going to do? Yeah. Can I invite myself?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it has to happen. I I Nobody's spoken that movie title out loud in my presence, you know, since probably 1990. So. And now
2: I got you three times on that. So <laughs> maybe that should be this year for like when we need a bonus episode. Tack Tango and Cash onto that. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. That movie. <laughs> do not just tango in cash
1: tango That i've seen a lot yes. sure bar 12 12, 15 <laughs> times you got that's yeah that's a lot for <laughs> dane you guys uh you guys ready to score this bitch yeah, yes. score it on the colt filmometer from 0 to 100 sir oh does he know what the colt filmometer is no the colt filmometer is our patented technology that judges just how <laughs> Good or bad a film is, based on four to five participants feeding scores into its mouth, what it does is it spits out a final score that cannot be disputed or argued or stolen by other podcasts. It susses out the bullshit.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like a very elegant instrument of adjudication. So, um... Patent pending. No,
1: it's already trademarks and patented and, and restricted.
0: And just for my own, uh, just for my own clarity, the the cult thermometer,
1: filmometer,
0: the cult filmometer
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: evaluates this movie as a as a cult movie or as a as a movie movie.
1: It actually knows how to differentiate that that by itself ah. by you simply feeding it a score between zero and one hundred. So you don't even okay. have to worry about that.
0: Zero and one hundred big trouble in little china gets from me a 96 96
1: yes here here uh where's my phone i have to pull up the (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's an app it's an app it's an app that we designed obviously god it's not in the app store though
0: with that score Is there, are there any final thoughts? I've been watching big trouble and little China at least 30 times a year since 1987. You know, it's part of my life. You know, everybody has to experience it at least 50 times before they, uh, before they've really lived. I do, I do make judgments about
3: other areas of people's
0: lives (laughs) if they haven't. So you guys better score it right.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Dane, you're 38 and you have to see this 40 more times
1: before you even live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, perfect. Uh, let's go with Dame's Marves. All right.
3: I love when he says, you stop rubbing your body on me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't concentrate. It's just like, man, I, I can't think of any other character that would say something <laughs> like that. He would just keep it to himself creepily that he has a half chub. The fucking Uzi that he shoots in the air that just makes like a six-shooter sound classic. <laughs> These are all things that you would think would normally detract from a score. But this man's love, his love of this movie, has in and being able to watch it with him for the first time has elevated a movie that I would normally probably score in the 70s, Matthew. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna give it an 88. And that's only one movie that I've given a higher score than that. But the floating head there's going to be a sequel, but there is, isn't. I can't go watch any more of this, is actually, it's drastic to me that I can't go and watch any more of Jack Burton. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's why you just decided to hit rewind and watch it 200 times. So I'm 196 behind you, but by God, I might get to 12 in my lifetime. 88.
2: Righteous. How about Jeff? I'm going to go with a 95.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Jeff.
2: Up on a 95. on This is a top five all-time favorite for me. I will take points off for some continuity issues. We've already discussed <laughs> some of them. What catches me often in the beginning is not so much the introduction of Jack or anybody else, but what got me was the bottle cutting scene after they play the game of pai Gao with Wang. And he's like, I'm going to cut this bottle in half. And I will always remember this as the, like the first thing from this movie that really like, oh, what are we in for? Because he goes to cut the bottle skirts right across the table and right up into kurt russell's hand and it's so smooth in the one shot they show that i'm like oh what the hell am i watching today i love all the fight scenes i love the zaniness of the movie kurt russell is one of my absolute favorite actors of all time he kills it kim control is over the top i love it I can't get enough of this movie. I'm going to end with my uh, two final thoughts. I love the power of the flask and everybody in the elevator just after taking their shot. Hey, I'm feeling pretty good. Hey, I'm pretty, feeling pretty <laughs> invincible. Like, okay, they're on the high elevator. Let's get high as we go down to go kick some ass. Um, and I'm going to end with my favorite line. Oh, you people sit tight, hold the fort and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not home by dawn, call the president. <laughs> New York reference, and I absolutely loved it because he had that wink at the end, like that's for all of you out there who know how I feel <laughs> about the president from *Escape from New York*, Donald Pleasance.
1: He's out, ninety-five. Lovely. All right, guys. Carpenter, Cottrell. Cundy, Coupe de there's a whole lot of coups going on. Drama. Mm-hmm. One of these things is not like the others. That song at the end by the Coupe de Villes is the worst <laughs> fucking song I've ever heard in the end credits of a movie. I commented on that when we watched it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I said, what the fuck is this every song? Matt's,
1: Matt's going thumbs down. He shuts it off before mm-hmm. the credits roll, I think, every time. Or he rewinds it. it is a, yeah, for it's sure. A, it's uh, collectively in this group. We should take it upon ourselves within the next year to rewrite a better Big Trouble in Little China closing credit <laughs> song. Maybe it could be dope. on the next Frederick Julius <laughs> record. <laughs> but That'd be dope, dude. The single. But when I started uh, from 100 and started marking things down, you know, I got all the way to the end without marking a point down until I went minus eight for the Coupe de Ville's. Finishing Mm. at a 92. And on the Colt filmometer, that brings this film to a final score of 92.75. Wow. (laughs) Where does that sit on the list? It's top right now because this is going to air before another movie that we did. (laughs) Oh,
2: that's right. That's right. Things on CF3 are not always in the order they are recorded in. Consider this a disclaimer. Yes. <laughs>
1: all right. This has been a review of Big Trouble in Little China. It's all in the reflexes. On the count of three. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. It's all. It's all it's in the uh,
3: reflexes.
1: reflexes. Reflexes. Damon, you were delayed by ninety seconds. <laughs> That's my reflex, you bitch. Big
0: trouble. You can feel the moving,
2: like you welcome back to see It free pod we are now onto to the finds section of our podcast as recently as a couple of weeks ago phantasm has celebrated its 40th anniversary. And it was announced that a new Blu-ray set would come out with a new replica sphere for release in America from WellGo USA. Also, it will accompany a brand new Dolby Atmos soundtrack for Phantasm 1 and a brand new remaster of Phantasm 2 in 4K that Shot Factory could not do themselves because they could not get the rights to. And you guys are a bunch of children.
1: (laughs) phantasm so they're finally gonna make good on this uh so over in the uk aero mm-hmm. uk put out a box set that had the sphere and yes. americans were like rioting in the streets basically including guyler because we just got a box we just got
3: a regular
2: <laughs> with box no sphere
1: set. in it you know but uh, right. but Who cares? but now this company well go usa that has phantasm really and nothing else
2: Well, they have a lot of Korean horror movies, so they did put out uh, Train to Busan, which is phenomenal for a zombie movie. I do recommend that to anybody who likes Mm. a zombie movie. It's a little long, but it's really good. Even my wife liked it, and she's not much for horror
3: movies. I almost said that's what she said, and then you started talking about your wife, and I was like, oh, thank God I didn't say that. (laughs) It's like a little long, but it's really nice. My wife loves it.
1: I was like... Okay. Not going to say that. Speaking of zombie movies, you guys need to check out, if you have not, the trailer for The Dead Don't Die. New zombie movie coming out from Jim Jarmusch, the indie iconoclast. Um, it stars Adam Driver, Bill Murray, Chloe Savini. Uh, there's more. Oh, Tilda Swinton. This, yep. this movie looks hilarious. It looks like the potential to be like... Possibly even twice as funny as Zombieland, if that's possible.
2: That's what I was thinking, too, when I saw that trailer when you shared that with me. That looks fantastic.
1: And I don't know where it takes place, but it's like a hick town and uh, Driver and Bill Murray play cops. So what else? We found out from Arrow Video that they are going to be releasing 1980s The Prey. This was a backwoods slasher from a former porn director. So you know it's going to be good, Matt. Matt, what was the last slasher film that you saw?
0: Uh, well, the very last slasher film that I th- saw—I mean, I don't know if this qualifies as a total slasher film—but um, I took my 15-year-old son to see *Us*. So there's
1: slasher-y elements to it. I thought it was like a ghost story. There's
0: there's a goodly amount of slashing. Sweet. I don't. It's not on the order of like you know chainsaw massacre or something like that, but it's it's a healthy dose.
1: How did you like it in comparison to, say, Get Out?
0: It's a it's a it's a different film because Get Out is mostly psychological. You know, it's a it's that it's the classic thriller kind of formula, you know, with with violence. This thing is a uh, veers more into slashing and horror. There's, I mean, it's still psychological because it's Jordan Peele, but it's just a it's a different. It's a different beast. That's awesome.
1: I just watched yesterday, the first two episodes of his new twilight zone series. It's on CBS. Oh, on Access. It. And yeah. the first one, the comedian is free on YouTube right now, actually. And I'm sure it'll be free in perpetuity almost. Um, that's the one with Kumail Nanjiani and it's yeah. called the comedian. So that might interest you to see. Um, oh, I thought okay. that one was decent, but the second episode, which is called nightmare at 30,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Pl- play on the original nightmare at twenty thousand feet was probably the best Twilight Zone thing that I've seen since the original series. So oh wow. And that's got wow. Adam Scott in it. So I loved it.
2: And Jordan Peels also said about his next upcoming movie he's gonna do that's kind of like this loose trilogy that for anybody who's complained that his first two movies weren't scary enough, you're gonna need to buckle up. He's gonna go there now.
1: Real, wow. So I didn't know he was doing horror again for a third time. That's going to be awesome. He
2: will. When is the question? But he's got the idea and he's listened to everybody's comments. And he said, if you want scary, oh, I haven't
1: done scary yet. I'm going to do it. Do you guys have a question for CF3? Please write us at CF3podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at CF3pod. Please just send us shit and we'll answer it.
2: And don't forget, we are also on Instagram at
1: CF3pod. Thank you. We'll add that to the next rundown so it gets put in the statement cleanly and beautifully. It's already on there. Matt, tell the good people listening how they can track you down, whether it be with a gun or um, just with a piece of paper for your autograph.
0: You guys can find me all across the nation loitering in various neighborhoods, and downtown districts, (laughs) but if you're not available for that kind of a hang, you can find me all over social media. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Matt Geiler is my handle, but you can also find me at Frederick Julius or at Dancing Pumpkin Man. I literally have 14 social media platforms. All of them are interconnected through HootSuite, and you can access them via the password that I'm about to give out on this (laughs) podcast. It's Disney 1928 with a capital D and no other figures at the end. So if you go to Hootsuite and put in my email, which is mattguilerco at gmail.com, Disney 1928 with a capital D, you'll be able to access my Hootsuite account and post on my own behalf. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me, and now we keep it rolling with the classic hits of the '50s and '60s here on KGOR. Good times, great oldies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. no,
1: it's just going to sound like a classic oldie, but it really is Frederick Julius that we're going to end this podcast with as a special tribute to you, good sir. So that's oh, going to be righteous. the outro Thank music. You. Um, everybody, say your goodbyes. Get it, get it all out of your system. Thank Goodbye. you, man. I
3: appreciate it. May 31st, you sons of bitches. I have
0: noticed, she duly noted. Well, honest, I feel nothing at all. La, 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 yeah. I pulled the fridge out just a smidge now. To see how bad it lit from the side. It's probably nothing, she said, but something. I know we need to She said the bleed through It's spreading and it's making me cry La, 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 yeah I tear our walls down Our cares would fall down I finish what I started back Three cult films. Uh, cult. You're listening to CF, your little cult films, finds and what? You can get some CF3 and then some plastic so you can blow up your balls on the CF3 Podcast.